Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Callahan. And hey, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. And a quick reminder, coming up next week is our webinar on how to craft a success story that uh, will help you sell more effectively. And if you go to our website, www.anecdote.com forward slash events, all the details are there, uh, 19th of August, and uh, there's two sessions, one to suit the Americas and one to suit uh, APAC and Europe. So if you're interested in upping your sales skills, then uh, it's a not-to-be-missed webinar. Absolutely. Okay, I got one for you, Mark. All um, right, lay it on me. I heard this one from Clayton Christensen. Remember Clayton Christensen? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 1990s? He sadly passed away this year in uh, January. Um, he would have only been early 60s, actually. But um, he was a Harvard Business School professor and author of a, a classic book called The Innovator's Dilemma, which I vividly remember reading and just blowing my mind. It was, it was a great, you know, classic from the 90s. Um, but he tells this, this terrific story about milkshakes, which I wanted to share with you. So... Uh, a few years uh, ago, um, uh, Christian was essentially doing um, some work for one of the big, you know, fast food restaurant companies. Let's let's call them McDonald's. Okay. For the for the heck of it. For the heck of it. Um, and then, you know they wanted to increase their milk milkshake sales. Um, now they did what good marketers do. You know they segmented their market. You know they looked at their product categories. You know, whether they're main meals, desserts, milkshakes, you know, and, and when they broke it all out, they could tell you to the nth degree um, exactly how many milkshakes they were selling, obviously, but also their competitors, Burger King, Wendy's, you know, had it all down to a, a fine art. But they also segmented their market by demographics. Uh, so they could give you a demographic profile of the people most likely to buy their milkshakes. And they even... They even did psychographic profiles, right? So I don't even were, know what that is. Neither do I, but they were all over <laughs> this. They were all over this. So then what they would do is invite people along that would fit those profiles into focus groups. And they would say things like, okay, can you tell us, you know, what we could do to our milkshakes that would, you know, convince you to buy more of them, okay? Do we need to make them more chunkier, creamier, chewier, cheaper, chocolatier, you know, whatever it might be? And, you know, focus group people, they love to give feedback. And they gave terrific, plenty of feedback. And then McDonald's went out and improved their product. And it had no impact whatsoever on <laughs> sales and profitability. Uh, so Christensen's uh, was brought in uh, with a group of colleagues. And the first thing they did was they sent one of these, one of his colleagues down to a McDonald's restaurant and stood in the restaurant for 18 hours, poor bugger, uh, with just one question in his mind. And that was, I wonder what job people hire a milkshake to do for them. Anyway, he stood there and he carefully made uh, observations. You know, when did they buy their milkshakes? What were they wearing? You know, were they alone? Were they with a group? You know, did they buy a meal as well or just the milkshake? You know, did they eat in the restaurant? Did they take it away? Everything was sort of jotted down. And it turned out 
that nearly half of all milkshakes they sold were in the early morning. And it was the only thing they bought. And they were always alone and always, had jump, always would jump in their car and drive off with it. So there was a particular type of person, if you like. Anyway, next morning, Clayton's uh, colleague comes back and this time he confronts the milkshake buyers as they're leaving the restaurants. And he sort of says, uh, you know, yeah, well, what job did you hire that milkshake for? <laughs> I don't what? know if he actually said that, but essentially he was trying to get at the, the, the idea of, okay, so, you know, not only were you, why were you buying this milkshake? You know, what were you hoping it would achieve for you beyond just the fact that you wanted, you know, the taste of the milkshake? And, and also, if you weren't buying the milkshake, was there other things that you bought that, you know, kind of did a similar job for you? Well, it turned out they all had a similar job in mind for their milkshake. They had these long and boring commutes. Uh, they just needed something to do while they were driving, right? And, you know, they'd have one hand on the wheel, they had the other hand free. It was just perfect for them to have a milkshake in that hand. and. And they also, even though they knew they weren't hungry yet, they knew they would be hungry by about 10 o'clock and they just wanted something to fill them up in the morning. Um, so other things they used or gave a go, they, they reported back that they, you know, some people tried banana, but unfortunately gone in a couple of minutes, still hungry at 10 o'clock. Some, you know, hired a donut to do the job but their fingers got sticky, their steering wheel gooey. It was a mess. A bit like bagels. Bagels was another thing that they tried out. But, you know, dry, tasteless, crumbs all over their clothes. So the only thing that really did the job so well was a milkshake that was so viscous, it took the full 20 minutes to suck that sucker, you know, up through the little straw that they had. And by 10 o'clock, they were still full. And not only that, it, sitted, it sat in their, you know, coffee cup hold perfectly, right? So McDonald's immediately realized they had to create a breakfast milkshake. It was thicker than normal. Uh, it had chunks of fruit in it. And it was an absolute hit. And the thing that they learned along the way was that, the market they were actually serving was not the milkshake market. It was the market of doing things while you were traveling market. And it turned out that market was seven times bigger than they, what, than they had considered before, right? When they were just selling milkshakes. So they expanded it enormously. Anyway, that's, that's the milkshake Whoa. story. I, I heard... Um, Clayton Christensen tell this story on one of on a YouTube um, clip, and so we'll, I'll include that in here. And more or less, I told it exactly, more or less exactly how he told it, with a few little flourishes along the way. But um, but yeah, I think that's it's one that he he got very well practiced at telling that story. And and I should also make make the point that this sparks a whole new field out there, which is all around product development. Um, what do we call it before, Mark? Customer experience. Yeah, customer design. experience design. Yeah, and just getting that all um, sort of sorted out in your mind. Like, what what is your product being hired to do? I think it's a, one of those fabulous questions, isn't it? 
It, it certainly is. Certainly is. So one of the things I really liked about that, and yeah, we'll just skip into that bit of the of the uh, yeah of, of the of the podcast. Lay it but on me. I I really liked the the the, the start. Yeah, you know, the focus groups and the demographics and the analysts business about the internet and nothing and you paused and you said and immediate and, and nothing happened. There was no yeah. change. No. And uh, I I had this thought, immediately nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really like that. It's kind of like that that comedy thing about normal, normal twist. Because I was expecting, you know, oh yeah, you know, sales went up or whatever. But yeah. So yeah, you know, I, it's, I, it's it's a good a good setup, isn't it? For, yeah. It's actually a good setup generally for, you know how in a presentation it's always good to set the problem out at the mm-hmm. beginning and then you come up with a solution, of course, right? Which is exactly what this story does. But using that normal, normal twist structure in the setup makes it, I wouldn't say funny, but vaguely amusing. Well, it certainly got a, uh, I, I, I laughed. Oh, okay. Right. So I laughed out. I, I did. I laughed out loud. Right. Yeah. Um, so there. So, so you good. know, so it just shows you too, you know, a little structure like that can actually get a good, good response. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the other, another thing I liked, uh, one of Christensen's colleagues went and stood there for 18 hours. Now, I, I, to tell you what, I started thinking, I started thinking, oh my, I don't think I could stand the smell of a McDonald's for 18 hours. <laughs> <laughs> think this is one hardy researcher. Yes, that's right. He's a tough nut. Tough nut. No, no, it is uh, quite a feat, really. Uh, the other thing that I kind of liked in it, and there is some element of disgust associated with it. I think this, we know... The research is pretty clear that the emotion of disgust is actually a, a strong emotion. It's one that we find hard to forget. So, you know, having gooey steering wheels mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, sticky donuts and things like that. I think that's actually a stroke of genius by Christian uh, Clayton Christensen um, in, in sort of coming up with that as I'm sure he'd, he'd, it was just what people were eating, but the fact the fact that they were the types of things he was comparing it against uh, does sort of stick in your mind. Um, yeah, and the fact that it was threes. And I can yeah. tell you, banana bagel donut. Yeah. I, I don't know why I can remember that so easily. Banana bagel donut. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, and again, so the, the dis, you know, I can, I, I could imagine the sticky donutty, you know, and particularly, you know, on, on my steering wheel, I don't want sticky. Sticky anything. Stuff. I don't want to stick anything on your steering wheel. Yeah, exactly. So, so, yep, so that works well. And and threes. Yeah. Yeah. What, what length do you reckon this story is? I didn't really take I don't know. I, I, I think it was a good length, four to five minutes. Really? That long? Okay. Yeah, yeah. it might be. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, you could probably tell a... Oh, I think you could a, tell a, a tighter, really short a version. version of it. Yeah. 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 So that'd be no yeah. problems. Um, and again, it depends on the application, though. Yeah. If you're really clear on a, on the application, and uh, you wanted to uh, express to people that customer experience design doesn't occur in the in the office, it occurs when you're out there understanding the uh, the, the, the customer's world and the world they live in. Yes. And right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what Clayton Christensen did. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't sit in the office and brainstorm and whiteboard and and post-it note. 
yeah, they went down and chatted to customers. Crazy idea. Crazy. Get out of here. <laughs> um, how would we make this story even better, Mark? What, what would you advise? Well, so I've got a question for you. How yeah. did Christensen end the video that you saw? Uh, pretty much the same way I ended. So it was a bit of a whimper, not a bang. Yeah, it, I was thinking that that's a really, I really did enjoy the story. And, yeah. But it kind of just petered out. Yes. And I, it, yeah, it'd be interesting. I think he's told it a lot of times. So, um, and I'm not too sure I've really seen a good ending in any of them. So, right, so what, what would be, be a good ending? ending? What yeah, would well, be a good ending? Well, I think a, a really good ending would just to say something like, and it was a hit, they increased sales by blah, blah, blah. And, well, okay, and, and let's just take that one step further and just say, so look, folks, if we want to have a sevenfold increase in our product, then we have to get out there and we have to do the same sort of thing that Christensen did. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a much stronger... I did. I just added a bunch of things at the end. I, yeah. just, I, I was just almost doing stream of consciousness. <laughs> oh, by the way, I want to tell you about this, this and this. I'd kind of forgotten I was telling a story. But I guess there's an important lesson in this for all... you know. For, in the use of story, when you do it purposefully to achieve an outcome, then it makes it so much easier to focus the story and to land a point because you're doing it for a purpose and it just really helps your focus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cool. Now, in terms of where we apply this, you know, for me, it's like any time you're, you know, designing, creating, trying to improve, increase the sales of your product, you should be thinking, well, this story is a good one to tell to get people thinking from the perspective of, so what's the job you're hiring this product to do? Um, and secondly, hey, guys, we should get out there and actually talk to our customers and see them. And not only talk to them, actually see them in action, like doing stuff, using the product. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess uh, any circumstances where you've got a customer experience team or a requirement and people are sitting at the desks, you know, guys, yes. you need to go out there and, and see the world from the customer perspective. Um, I also think that any, it's not just customer experience design, but it's also uh, any, any uh, stakeholder engagement activity. Go out and you see the world from the, cust- oh, from the stakeholder perspective. Um, so, yeah, product development, stakeholder engagement, customer experience design. So kind of pretty big applications of that story. Very versatile. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a it's a really useful story, hmm. and you know, and you get the benefit of being attached to a, a Harvard Business School professor who is, is regarded as one of the one of the most brilliant people around. So, um, yeah, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, that doesn't that does not hurt. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I think that would be important in in any telling is to say that it was Clayton Christensen. Oh yeah, because yeah, I was, even though yeah, some people yeah. might not know Clayton Christensen, the people that people that do will go, oh, because he was a guy that you paid attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you reckon? What would you give this, Mark, as a rating? I'm going to go seven and a half. The more I think about it, the more I like it. It's it's, it's really great. You only got up to a seven and a half? God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no it's okay um yeah look i i'm i'm gonna give it an eight i know it's getting i'm getting a bit boring now with my scoring 
Um, but I must admit, I was looking, I score my, I think we've mentioned this before, I score my movies that I watch on IMDb, and I have a plethora of eights. Ah, okay. It's obviously a pattern. There's something I okay. settle on. You know, when I like something, you're an eight. But just as an FYI, what is a good um, uh, score on IMDb? Because I've, I've, I've watched a movie the other day that was terrible. And yeah. it had a rating of 5.9. And I'm, I gave it a, like a, a two or something. 5.9 is really lo- is low. Yeah. Right. So, so, so what about, what, what about a 6.5? Is, is 6.5? They have two ratings systems on um, IMDb. They have what they call the user rating. So that's essentially all the, the average of all the ratings that people like you and I add to the system. So, you know, if, if I'm looking at anything below a seven, like the users have rated below a seven, I'm a bit, sus of it um and and then there's the metacritic rating which is essentially the average of what the critics rate it out of a hundred and so essentially anything over 60 uh is you know, for me worth watching but if you saw something there on the 70 or an 80 you get you definitely watch it right okay but and then, every and now, now and then i want to talk about all the exceptions well, one exception is sometimes critics hate something, right? But the users love it. And that usually says to me, that's one of those Friday night uh, movies, which you don't have to put too much thought into, but it's a real, you know, sort of enjoyable Friday night, no mindless sort of movie. So they're always good oh, to have. Okay. That's very useful to know. There you go. See? Things we cover on our podcast. <laughs> Um, good, radio. Well, I think that's all we need to. Um, to Quick reminder: to go to our website. Yes, web the the uh, the webinar next week uh, on uh, success stories. It's going to be really valuable. Uh, teach you one really valuable thing. Yeah, good. Well, thanks again, everyone, for listening to anecdotally speaking. Um, if you, I'm just going to th- say that if. Um, it's, it really helps if you subscribe to the podcast. So go to your podcast app because essentially Apple um, helps people find these podcasts based on indicators like how many people have subscribed. So if you just go to your app, search for anecdotally speaking and, and subscribe, that sort of gives Apple a bit of an indicator that people are interested in this particular podcast. But um, so yeah, if you wouldn't mind doing that, that'd be terrific. Um, but yeah, so thanks again for, for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. And of course, tune in next Tuesday where we have another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. Anecdotally Speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from Author to Audio.